Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, September 26th, 2022, the 614th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to this podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, and you will be supporting me, supporting the work I do, and supporting this show as it expands. And hey, if you can't or you don't want to, just keep listening to it for free on a variety of alternate sites, and please share it with your friends. So I want to begin by taking note of a certain turn of phrase that is beginning to gain popularity in our public conversation. And that turn of phrase is global communism. Now, I've been saying global communism for years and phrasing it exactly like that, even though people said to me, you can't call these people communists. They're not communists. Look at them. They have lots of money. They order from Uber Eats like every meal. They have a Tesla. They watch Netflix all the time. There's no way these people are communists. They are materialists. They love things. They want to acquire more things all the time. And because we've all been misled about most everything that matters in life, we are taught to assume that the love of things is somehow the product of of capitalism. And it's one of the evils of capitalism that capitalism is actually what creates our materialism and our overvaluing of material goods, our overvaluing of pleasures as they exist in the material realm. And we are told that people who live in constant pursuit of material goods are to be viewed as capitalists. They are greedy, even if we want to go that far. And I know, I know. We don't judge. 
But if we're going to call them greedy, we would say, too, that their greed is a function of their capitalism can never be anything else. If you are materially greedy, you must be a capitalist. But that's not true at all. Material greed is rooted in an overvaluing of material experience and overvaluing of material possessions and material pleasures, sensory pleasures. And it's marked by lust. It's marked by the chase for short-term gratification in all situations. But that's not a product of capitalism. That is a product of some level of nihilism and of a lack of faith and purpose and identity and belonging. It is the total abdication of the self as a human animal that needs community and connection and has greater purpose or could at least seek greater purpose. Everything that exists is already here around us. And the only way to make our lives better is by accumulating as many things as we can. Once we get that Tesla, ooh, life's going to be better then. Vacation house, oh, life will be perfect then. It'll probably save everybody's marriage, to be honest. But that's not actually how things work. And it is entirely possible to embody that character to become a materialist without any conception of what free and fair trade might be. And that's what's at the root of capitalism. And of course, these people, once they have accumulated enough things, they care mostly about status, about how they are viewed by others. And so while they accumulate things, they will also accumulate status with it. Oftentimes they attach status to the accumulation of material things. But while they're accumulating, the last thing they want is to ever feel bad about it. They don't want to feel guilty that they have so many things while so many people have so few things. And from the perspective of a person who thinks the accumulation of things and the accumulation of status is the goal of life, it's hard for them not to feel guilty about all those people who have less. Now, Never makes them feel guilty enough to go out and try to solve those problems, but they will support other people who say they're trying to solve the problems. And because these people don't actually care at all, and because these problems don't actually affect them in any real way, they can have their emotional reaction, do it in public so everyone knows they're still a good person, and then they will just cede power to everyone else so that they can fix things for other people, knowing that you yourself are already just fine. And at that point, you begin to become concerned with things like equality, like forced equality. Equity is what they now call it. And you can pretend that all of the world's problems would be solved if we just all said the right things about race or everything is way too complicated to understand. So let's just give all control to the experts. All our problems are too big. They can't be understood by anyone but the experts. So we're going to let the experts handle all the problems. And eventually what we end up with is a society of nihilistic and apathetic people who are nonetheless materially comfortable in a way that allows them to think that the best way to be productive and caring members of a society is to empower other people to fix everyone's problems. Even though all the people they're supporting have never fixed anyone's problems, and their solutions don't make any sense. And here's the hard part. A lot of the time, they simply make up the problems. These are the underlying principles of communism. And we can see people with these principles spread throughout our society. Some of them are the elites who pack the universities and the entertainment community and the tech companies and our politics. And then there's a whole collection of people at the bottom, people who we would more readily see as communists, you know, poor people who just want everything to be equal because they think that'll be better than what they have now. And 
That's basically the entirety of the Democrat Communist Party and their movement. And of course, they have plenty of complicit Republicans with the same materialist priorities who are more than happy to go along by their side so long as they're able to protest enough so that people will still respect them as having a dissenting opinion. That way, those very smart but complicit Republicans will be able to say, hey, this stuff's not my moral responsibility. I was the one who said we should have immediately taken our military into Ukraine to destroy Russia. Oh, how conservative. So I took a lot of heat for all this. You can't call them commies. It's just mean. It's just red baiting. It's just like Joseph McCarthy. Except it's not any of those things. We have to actually recognize what it is we're facing here and that this thing has precedent. It's not a departure from 20th century communism, what's happening now. It's not in any way a departure. In fact, it's the exact same thing, just advanced a few cycles with some variations based on how society has advanced, based on how technology has changed, based on our common understanding of what these concepts actually entail. We've been taught that communists are basically factory workers who gather in basements covered in soot and talk about how one day they're all going to own the company too. And sure, that might be a part of it. But we have university-educated, media-supported tech elites and politicians planning together how to censor American citizens, how to nationalize our industries, or at least make them quasi-national and work in what they call public-private partnerships. In China, they actually call their brand of communism state capitalism. But it's not that. Industry is controlled by and works in conjunction with government, just as government is controlled by and works in conjunction with industry. And they both serve the needs of a higher global agenda as implemented by global governing bodies. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a system. You can see the structure of the system. You can see how the system operates. You can know the goals and the agenda of those at the top in decision-making positions. And then you can see how their goals and that agenda are implemented throughout the steps of the system. The people near the top of the system exist to manage the system and through their commitment to the system's management in accordance with the goals of the global agenda, those people will be rewarded. If you serve the state more, you will be better rewarded by the state. You will gain wealth. You will gain status. You will gain power. People who comply but are less talented, well, they will get some portion of that wealth and the status and the power, but they're just not useful enough. People who choose not to comply will be destroyed. There is nothing new about any of this. It is just global communism to the extent that corporations and government are working in conjunction. That's fascism. That's what fascism is. That's what it means. That's what it always has been. It's not a nickname for people we don't like. It's also socialism. And to the extent that this same system was what was empowering Nazis in World War II and what's currently funding Nazis in Ukraine right now it's also Nazism. And the thing is, these are collectivist ideologies. They are all different paths to the same outcome. They are different elements of the system. And most importantly, they are different brands and they are marketed differently to different people. But they all end in top-down global government, which is, from a historical perspective, functionally the same as feudalism. And when you understand this, it's clear that communism is actually just feudalism marketed to poor people. They want the people of the world 
the poor, the oppressed, the disenfranchised, even people who are just normal workers who don't really want to be part of the system and they just want to own land somewhere and have people leave them alone. They want all these people to just agree to go along with it all. It'll be easier for everyone, they say. And at some point, they believe that they have implemented their agenda so thoroughly that everyone would prefer to go along with them rather than continue to live the life of a dissenter. So they make it as bad as they can. Now, again, I've been told for two years that you're not allowed to call people commies. It's divisive. And we need to unify with these people. We don't need to hurt their little feelings. They have so many feelings and they're always talking about their feelings. The last thing anybody wants is to hear more about their feelings. So what we can't do, what we can't ever do is upset the people who are trying to force experimental gene therapies into the arms of children and arguing why we should keep funding Nazis to protect a border they drew for themselves when they won't protect the border of the United States of America from the slave trade they're also running. How dare you call them communists? How dare you hurt their feelings? So we're not allowed to say that they're communists because they have things and they don't identify as communists. And of course, they're wrong about the meaning of their desire for things. And they're wrong about what communism is. But you can't call it communism because it's going to hurt their feelings. Well, that's a different argument. And it's not actually about what communism is or whether or not they're supporting communism which are the only things that make them communist or not. But it's apparently not enough also when the people they're supporting come out in favor of communism and communist policies. Now, China has a communist party and China's communist party is aligned with the global communists and has been for a very long time. China's Communist Party is a key partner for these globalists. Again, China calls it state capitalism. And someone who wants to make sure to never call anything communist would probably have a very, very interesting argument about how state capitalism is different enough to not be communism, even though the Communist Party of China calls themselves communist. But you can't export that to the West. I mean, sure, the World Economic Forum, who partners with the Chinese Communist Party, says that they have infiltrated governments around the world. Justin Trudeau himself actually has publicly longed for the political system in China because he believes he could get so much more done that way. But he's not a communist. And then in America, we don't have communists. We have progressives, except for the fact that our progressives are fully in line with the Communist Party of America and the Democrat agenda in general goes toward the goals of the progressives who are saying out loud what the rest of the establishment will not say out loud. And that's that all of them are fully committed to the same global agenda. So the case isn't all that hard to make, but it is hard to get people to accept the case because they know in their little child brains that communism equals bad. And because they're not bad, they're not communists. And because they're bad, they're not even supporting communism, but they will argue for each and every one of the policies as the morally right thing to do while each one of those policies leads us ever closer to communism, because that's what the system is designed to produce. Now, the reason I've always called it this is because that's what it is, and I don't really care about the feelings of people who are going to recoil and be like, you can't call me communist or you can't call Democrats communists. We're never going to get anything done that way. Well, yes, we are, 
because what I'm going to do is call the thing exactly what it is. And then I am more than happy. I am content with waiting as long as it takes for other people to realize and come to terms with the fact that it is that thing. This is global communism. Because if we don't call the thing what it is, then it's impossible to recognize it as it takes over, as it infiltrates. And so it's impossible to properly respond to it. If we continue pretending that all of this is something else, then as it continues to grow and infiltrate and take over everything, we'll keep attributing all of the little parts to their own distinct interpretations and never see the thing in its fullness. And that's how we have to see it in order to respond to it. So it's incredibly important to actually describe all of this the right way. Now, Matthew Tiermond was on the war room this morning and he wrote a piece for uh, CD media. It's creative destruction media.com. And the title of the piece is Brazil the most important election battleground against global communism in 2022. Now it's a long piece and really thoroughly researched. Go ahead and check it out, but I'm going to read his conclusion for you. The Bolsonaro family is a moral bulwark for the free society of Brazil. They have become in their fiery and assertive messaging and fearless attitude and demeanor, the symbol and representation of and for the fed up electorate. The silent, ever louder majority who desire freedom and free expression, honest elections, public corruption rooted out and their sovereignty maintained and defended from global interests, rightly see the Bolsonaro's as their champions. And this president and his circle are seen as the defenders of the national natural resource asset base of Brazil, which this society has been blessed with in abundance and which is the birthright of every Brazilian citizen. They do not want it sold out from under them to imperial Chinese communists. Brazilians have no interest in seeing their next generations become the economic prey of those who'd have them conversing in Mandarin within the next half a century. Brazil needs all of our help from conservatives, nationalists, populists, Westphalian sovereigntists, Republicans in the literal sense, and even Democrats in the classical sense. As this out of control court, the STF is in no way emblematic of a democratic judiciary's highest court. Moral support from lovers and defenders of freedom worldwide will be necessary to sustain the Bolsonaristas in this pending dark electoral moment. They need to know we see and understand their fraught situation, that they are not alone. Our media has to cover their travails and spread the word about their bad complexes and risky pitfalls ahead. As the Bolsonaro's often exclaim in the chants they lead in their rallies, Brazil will never be communist. Let's hope that they have the fortitude to stay the course and guarantee that this chant is a defiant, sturdy proclamation more than a merely wishful ambition. Is Matthew Tiermond confused about global communism? Is the Bolsonaro family confused about global communism? Are the Brazilian people confused about global communism or are all of these people on exactly the right path? It is abundantly clear that they are on the right path and it's good that people are finally saying so and naming this exactly what it is. Now I bring all this up as I often repeat because the same playbook is playing out around the world. The same situations are happening all over the world on different timelines with slight variations. A couple of weeks ago, the right and the quote unquote far right, which is what the media calls any sovereigntist or nationalist movement around the world, they swept in with a governing coalition for the first time in a long time in Sweden. And the socialists will not have control. The pro-immigration, immigration in quotes, that coalition is losing control. In Brazil, this coming weekend, we have Bolsonaro's election. And word is now that it may go to a runoff. And then we expect Bolsonaro will win in the runoff. But there is 
all kinds of election manipulation going on in Brazil right now as they try to reinstall their global communist Lula. And so we'll pay a lot of attention to what happens in Brazil. But yesterday, the Italians went out and voted in a woman named Georgia Maloney to be the new prime minister of Italy. And her governing coalition won nearly two thirds of the vote. And Maloney is quite an outspoken sovereigntist and nationalist. Her campaign is based on the idea that she is pro-God, pro-country and pro-family. Or as the global communist state propaganda media calls it, fascism, because apparently that's fascist now. In her victory speech, Maloney said, our main enemy today is the globalist drift of those who view identity and all its forms to be an evil to overcome and constantly ask to shift real power away from the people to supranational entities headed by supposedly enlightened elites. She goes on. Let us be clear in our mind because we did not fight against and defeat communism in order to replace it with a new international regime, but to permit independent nation states once again to defend the freedom, identity and sovereignty of their peoples. And she's exactly right. There's a video going around from 2019. It's about a two minute clip that it has gone viral today. Apparently, according to the Gateway Pundit, it's received 9.3 million views in just 14 hours. But the speech is fantastic, and that's why it's being so widely shared. Oh, it's because everybody's scared of rising fascism in Italy? No, of course not. It's because everybody knows she's right. Why is the family an enemy, she says? Why is the family so frightening? There is a single answer to all these questions because it defines us, because it is our identity, because everything that defines us is now an enemy for those who would like us to no longer have an identity and simply be perfect consumer slaves. And so they attack national identity. They attack religious identity. They attack gender identity. They attack family identity. I can't define myself as Italian, Christian, woman, mother. No. I must be citizen X, gender X, parent one, parent two. I must be a number because when I am only a number, when I no longer have an identity or roots, then I will be the perfect slave at the mercy of financial speculators, the perfect consumer. But we will defend it. We will defend God, country and family. Those things that disgust people so much, we will do it to defend our freedom. Because we will never be slaves and simple consumers at the mercy of financial speculators. That is our mission. That is why I came here today. Chesterton wrote more than a century ago. Fires will be kindled to testify that two and two make four. Swords will be drawn to prove that leaves are green in summer. That time has arrived. We are ready. And apparently that's what fascism sounds like now talking about the sovereignty of a nation, the sovereignty of the individual, the importance of family, the importance of God in the life of the individual, in the life of the family and in the life of the nation. And we are told because she is a fascist, that must also mean that she's an authoritarian and that she's also a dictator. I guess there's something illegitimate about her being the next prime minister of Italy. And all of that is despite the fact that the people voted for her and that her party and the coalition that is being built with her party are the result of the rise of fascism among Italian citizens and among other citizens of Europe. They're all over Hungary. They're not happy with Poland. They're not happy with Sweden. But what's happening is the total disavowal of the global governing bodies or even the regional governing bodies like the EU by the citizens of Europe. They don't want it. It is a rejection of the global communist order and its agenda. That's what has all these people so freaked out. 
They have no problem calling this fascism while the people are voting for it. Ursula von der Leyen, the head of the European Union, last week said they have tools to handle this if the Italian people make a difficult decision. So basically, the Italian people have gone in the wrong direction, according to the leaders of the global communist order and its governing bodies. The people chose wrong. So from the top down, they need to figure out how to override the will of the people. But don't get confused. These people would never, ever, ever steal an election anywhere on earth. And they never have because they never would. In fact, no one ever would. No one on their side, at least. Only people on our side would steal elections. That's why we're trying to have people get involved at the local level and make sure that laws are followed because we are trying to steal an election from the global communists who would never, ever steal an election, no matter how many times they say that they don't care about the will of the people. They're actually trying to override the will of the people because they understand just how important it is to preserve our democracy. And surely all of that must make sense somehow because they say it so often and it's repeated so often by the global media. They could never be lying to us. That's me. I'm the conspiracy theorist. I'm the one who's uninformed about what communism is. I'm the one who's being mean to other people by mislabeling them and connecting them to something bad. You know, like fascists do. So I guess they're right when they're calling us fascists, even though our side is supporting the expressed will of the people. Got it. So they've gotten themselves pretty wrapped around the axle on that one. But that's not it, because, of course, she's a woman. So they have to figure out how that whole thing plays as well, because Women are supposed to do what they want all the time. That's why they're so happy to support women. Don't you get it? That's feminism. A journalist from The Telegraph yesterday named Patrick Sauer tweeted this. Please, please stop framing Georgia Maloney as Italy's first female prime minister. You're covering up just how hideous her party, born of fascism, actually is. It's the least notable thing about her. And he hashtags Malonian hashtag Italian election. So you got it. She is on the wrong side. So her being a woman is the least notable thing about her. Now, if she agreed with the globalist agenda and their minions like Patrick Sauer, then her being a woman would be the most notable thing about her. See, it's only the least notable thing about her because she doesn't agree with them. She gets zero points for being a woman now. In fact, she's not even a woman because she's actually internalized her misogyny. The reason she has all her own thoughts and is free to go out and express them is because of how much she hates herself and you know, through that, how much she actually hates all women. Don't you get it? It makes perfect sense. If she was a real woman, then she would agree with everything she's taught to agree with by the system and the structure holding all that power. And she would be going along with them. And if she went along with them, if she said and did all the things she's supposed to say and do, then the fact that she's doing it as a woman would be the most notable thing imaginable. They would talk about it for weeks or months. They would hail her as one of the world's brightest young leaders. But she's not Jacinda Ardern. She's on the wrong side. Her being a woman now doesn't matter at all. But if she agreed with them, woman is the most important thing. So what does that tell you? When a woman is important 
to the global communist order, the most important thing about that woman is the fact that she is a woman. Her ideas are all standardized. They're all acceptable. They're all part of the package. They're a single set of ideas represented by this woman. And because she's a woman, she's very, very important for carrying all of these ideas along. All of the woman's ideas, therefore, are less notable than the fact she has a vagina. Now, you might be inclined to say, wow, the fact that she has a vagina to these people is far more important than the total sum of her ideas and her morals, her values and how she wants to see things happen in the country. It's the vagina that's important. Well, that sounds kind of misogynistic, <laughs> but trust me, you'd be wrong. You just don't understand what misogyny is. Misogyny is not thinking that the only thing interesting about a woman is the fact that she has a vagina. Misogyny is just not agreeing to go along with communism when you're told you have to by a woman. And the funny thing is they don't actually stop at the whole man-woman thing. They don't stop at misogyny. They keep that going. And, you know, they branch off into LGBT stuff and whatever the newest form of feminism, which is, sorry guys, just a nice little part of communism. When it comes to politics, they do the exact same things with race and everything else. It's not important if someone's black if they have different ideas, their blackness is only important when they are communist because then they can be promoted for their blackness. Don't you understand? It's it's I mean, their blackness doesn't mean they have different ideas. It's important because they have the same ideas to make sure that everyone knows the real black people always side with us. Now, you would think by now everyone would have noticed this and understood what this really is. They are using someone's status as a woman or as a black person or as gay or whatever as a shield for all of these bad communist ideas. You can't argue about ideas with a black person because then you're racist. You can't argue about these communist ideas with a woman because then you're a misogynist. And you see that it's just a shield. They don't want anyone arguing with the ideas. And they're more than happy to be as divisive as they must be to make sure that those ideas are protected. Criticism is not allowed. And they talk all day long about how they want diverse ideas. That's why diversity is so important. You got to have different ideas. Women bring different ideas. Black people bring different ideas, except once they bring different ideas, they're called fascist. You got it. That's how the game's played. Consistency doesn't matter. Principles don't matter. All that matters is whether or not the agenda and the ideas of the agenda are advanced. Now, it's not enough to just call her a fascist, and it's not enough to take away all the credit she might get for being a woman with her own ideas, who is a powerful speaker and leader whose values are values that people across her country can align with. That's not enough. You also need to let everybody know that Georgia Maloney is going to help that evil old Vladimir Putin continue attacking the comedic actor in Ukraine. Yes, she is also responsible for that. Not the EU. The EU didn't help start that war. Not the West. Joe Biden had nothing to do with it. It was Georgia Maloney helping Vladimir Putin, and that makes her even extra fascist. Now, there was a great article published in the American Conservative on Thursday of last week by Colonel Douglas McGregor. It's called Holding Ground, Losing War. At the end of 1942, when the Wehrmacht could advance no further east, Hitler switched German ground forces from an enemy force-oriented strategy to a ground-holding strategy. 
Hitler demanded that his armies defend vast, largely empty and irrelevant stretches of Soviet territory. Holding grounds not only robbed the German military of its ability to exercise operational discretion and, above all, to outmaneuver the slow, methodical Soviet opponent, holding ground also pushed German logistics to the breaking point. When holding ground was combined with endless counterattacks to retake useless territory, the Wehrmacht was sentenced to slow, grinding destruction. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky presumably with the advice of his U.S. and British military advisors, has also adopted a strategy of holding ground in eastern Ukraine. Ukrainian forces immobilized themselves inside urban areas and prepared defenses. As a result, Ukrainian forces turned urban centers into fortifications for what became last stands. Sensible withdrawals from cities like Mariupol that might have saved many of Ukraine's best troops were forbidden. Russian forces responded by methodically isolating and crushing the defenders left with no possibility of either escape or rescue by other Ukrainian forces. Moscow's determination to destroy Ukrainian forces at the least cost to Russian lives prevailed. Ukrainian casualties were always heavier than reported from the moment Russian troops crossed into eastern Ukraine. But now, Thanks to the recent failure of Ukrainian counterattacks in the Kherson region, they've reached horrific levels that are impossible to conceal. Casualty rates have reached 20,000 killed or wounded a month for Ukraine. Despite the addition of 126 howitzers, 800,000 rounds of artillery and HIMARS, U.S. rocket artillery, months of hard fighting are eroding the foundations of Ukraine's ground strength. In the face of this disaster, Zelensky continues to order counterattacks to retake territory as a means of demonstrating that Ukraine's strategic position vis-a-vis -vis Russia is not as hopeless as it seems. The recent Ukrainian advance to the town of Izium, the link between Donbass and Kharkiv, seemed like a gift to Kyiv. U.S. satellite arrays undoubtedly provided Ukrainians with a real-time picture of the area, showing that Russian forces west of Izium numbered less than 2,000 light troops, the equivalent of paramilitary police, for example, SWAT and airborne infantry. The Russian command opted to withdraw its small force from the area that is roughly 1% of formerly Ukrainian territory currently under Russian control. However, the price for Kyiv's propaganda victory was high. Depending on the source, an estimated 5,000 to 10,000 Ukrainian troops were killed or wounded in a flat, open area that Russian artillery, rockets, and airstrikes turned into a killing field. What he is describing there is what the media has told you for the last few weeks is the Ukrainian advance, the Russian retreat. Ukraine is retaking territories that Russia had formerly captured, but it's 1% of what Russia had captured at incredible cost. And that's why he calls it a propaganda victory. This is a story that they are trying to sell to the world as a great success, even though by every reasonable measure, this is a massive failure. Given Washington's inability to end the war in Ukraine with the defeat of Russian arms, it seems certain that the Beltway will try instead to turn the ruins of the Ukrainian state into an open wound in Russia's side that will never heal. From the beginning, the problem with this approach was that Russia always had the resources to dramatically escalate the fighting and end the fighting in Ukraine on very harsh terms. Escalation is now in progress. In a public statement that should not surprise anyone, President Putin announced the partial mobilization of 300,000 reservists. Many of these men will replace regular Russian army forces in other parts of Russia and release them for operations in Ukraine. Other reservists will augment the Russian units already committed in eastern Ukraine. And that's key to recognize as well, because we are being given the illusion that all of these forces are being called up because Russia's forces have been so devastated and decimated. But that's not the case. These reservists are going to go 
relieve people in other parts of Russia while those more regular soldiers go and carry out the mission in Ukraine. And here's McGregor's conclusion. This is extremely important. Washington always mistook Putin's readiness to negotiate and limit the scope and destructiveness of the campaign in Ukraine as evidence of weakness when it was clear that Putin's aims were always restricted to the elimination of the NATO threat to Russia in eastern Ukraine. Washington's strategy of exploiting the conflict to sell F-35 fighter jets to Germany, along with large numbers of missiles, rockets and radars to Central and East European allied governments is now backfiring. The defense establishment has a long record of success in tranquilizing American voters with meaningless cliches. As conditions favorable to Moscow develop in eastern Ukraine and the Russian position in the world grows stronger, Washington confronts a stark choice. Talk about having successfully degraded Russian power in Ukraine and scale back its actions or risk a regional war with Russia that will engulf Europe. So he's saying that Putin's stance and his willingness throughout this time to negotiate was viewed by the global West as a weakness that Putin was somehow afraid to advance, that he was somehow bluffing, that he just wouldn't be able to carry this thing through to the end. But it wasn't that he was very serious with his terms. He laid them out at the beginning. He wanted Crimea considered part of Russia and for the malign influence of the West to stop harming the Crimean people. He wanted Donetsk and Lugansk to be independent republics. He wanted to make sure that Ukraine would not be joining NATO or the EU, and he wanted to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine. Those have always been the terms, and they are still the terms, except now he's not only getting Crimea, Donetsk, and Luhansk, he's also getting Zaporozhia and Kherson, as referendums in those regions are currently being voted on and those referendums would make these regions part of Russia. And when that happens, Russia is going to recognize those regions as part of Russia and will be defending those regions as part of Russia. And they have made that exceedingly clear. Our media, the global state propaganda media, has ignored all of this, all of the reality of the situation. They have presented an entirely different version of reality, one where Ukraine might win, one where the people of these regions need protection from Russia. The people of these regions need protection from Ukraine and the global West, and they've been engaged in an ethnic civil war there for eight years. It is amazing how much everything actually makes sense when you are getting legitimate information about what's happening. In Europe, however, Washington's war with Moscow is more than just an unpleasant subject. Germany's economy is on the brink of collapse. German industries and households are starved for energy that grows more expensive with each passing week. American investors are concerned because the historical record indicates that Germany's economic performance is often the harbinger of hard economic times in the U.S. More important, social cohesion in European states, especially in France and Germany, is fragile. Berlin's police force is reportedly drawing up contingency plans to cope with rioting and looting during the winter months if the multicultural city's energy grid collapses. Discontent is growing, making it quite plausible that governments in Germany, France and Great Britain will likely follow the path of their colleagues in Stockholm and Rome who lost or will lose power to right of center coalitions. As of this date, Kiev continues to oblige Moscow by impaling Ukraine's last reserves of manpower on Russian defenses. Washington insists President Biden will support Ukraine as long as it takes. But if Washington continues to drain America's strategic oil reserve and ship American war stocks to Ukraine, the ability to protect and provision the United States will compete with supporting Ukraine. Russia already controls the territory that produces 95% of Ukrainian GDP. It has no need to press further west. 
At this writing, it seems certain that Moscow will finish its work in Donbass, then turn its attention to the capture of Odessa, a Russian city that saw terrible atrocities committed by Ukrainian forces against Russian citizens in 2014. Moscow is in no hurry. The Russians are nothing if not methodical and deliberate. Ukrainian forces are bleeding to death in counterattack after counterattack. Why rush? Moscow can be patient. China, Saudi Arabia, and India are buying Russian oil in rubles. Sanctions are hurting America's European allies, not Russia. The coming winter will likely do more to alter Europe's political landscape than any action Moscow might undertake. In Zakopane, a town of 27,000 souls in the extreme south of Poland, the snow is already falling. So the global communists have a war effort that they initiated that has cost tens of thousands of lives, and that's failing. Their political efforts to create regional governments that serve the global government and have all the nations of these regional governments go along with the global agenda is failing in countries across the world. But surely these people are going to be successful in their mission to protect our democracy from the citizens that make up our democracy. There is no way they could lose their grip on information, their grip on culture, especially not with the level of power and control and influence they have. I mean, the biggest musicians in the world, professional athletes, the tech companies, all the corporations, all the very hip brands are all in line with the global agenda. They just keep pushing it forward and they must have all of this support from people who, you know, we might not understand and we might not spend a lot of time with, but we know them and we know how very, very serious they are about all this stuff, how much they talk about it, how much these issues dominate their lives and their thinking. Even though if you talk to them for two or three minutes, you'll find out they don't actually know anything about these issues, but surely they're still on the side of the most powerful leaders in the global communist movement. And one of those people who would never actually be turned on by her own audience is Nancy Pelosi. And because Nancy Pelosi is so powerful and so popular, the culture wants to raise Nancy Pelosi up into an even greater position of status and influence. And so this weekend, the organization Global Citizen, an organization fully aligned with the United Nations and the global communist order through their funding, through their agenda, they had their big annual concert in New York City. They get some of the biggest recording artists in the world to come and play for everybody attending this festival. And in between, they give speeches about how important climate change is and how important it is for young and hip Americans to envision themselves as citizens of the world because they like to travel. They like to go around the world and take pictures of themselves in various places for their Instagram. And that is what makes them global citizens. That's what makes them cultured and worldly. And we know that all the, the best people are cultured and worldly, and we all want to model their behavior. So we all need to travel. And because we all need to travel, we all need to be global citizens. Everyone on earth just needs to be equal. We're all equal. We're all one people. And so what everybody around the world needs to do is turn all of their power over to these global bodies as well. All of these agenda items are just so important for having a global community that functions properly and achieves the proper outcomes as defined by the most powerful people in the world and the institutions that they run. And so naturally, all of the hip young Americans attending the Global Citizen Festival and concert will want to hear from their leaders like Nancy Pelosi. So what they did was they got Priyanka Chopra, who I guess is an actress and is married to a Jonas and was apparently emceeing the event. 
They had her bring out Nancy Pelosi so that Nancy Pelosi could address the crowd. And that's exactly what she did, except the crowd didn't really react how they were expected to react. Here are two different video clips of essentially the same moment taken from opposite places in this concert, because I don't want anybody to get the impression that it's just overwhelming in one of these feeds, the sound of the crowd booing Nancy Pelosi. So here's number one. I couldn't talk about it. It's Nancy Pelosi. Why is everyone booing? Here's the second clip. 20%. Now, these aren't MAGA Republicans, and that's why it's worth it playing these clips. These are the people who are the most on their side in America. Besides people who like are genuinely dependent on the government for everything, these are the people continuing to support the Democrat Communist Party in America. These are the Liz Cheney fans in the world. These are the people who are very concerned about the very violent insurrection. I would guess that 90 plus percent of the people attending this concert are vaccinated. And this is the lineup that these fans are attending this concert to see play Metallica, Charlie Puth, Jonas Brothers, Maniskin. I don't know what that is. Mariah Carey, Mickey Guyton and Rosalia. So if you are a Metallica fan who is still holding out hope for Metallica to actually be the people they pretend to be and they seem like they are on stage, sorry, that ship has sailed. But this is a very mainstream pop lineup. And at this point, honestly, Metallica is a pop band. But these are the people booing Nancy Pelosi. These people, by and large, are elites, or at least they aspire to an elite lifestyle. And they have acquired elite sensibilities through their culture. And I think that this is especially funny because these are the people who generally want to just profess their belief in all of the agenda priorities of the globalists of the illegitimate Biden administration. These are the people who will go out and vote for Joe Biden. They will comply with anything that is asked of them by their government. They will go along with anything they're told is cool by their culture. And all of that is the basis for their broader political outlook. But the thing is, they don't actually care about politics and they don't actually know about politics and they don't actually want to know and they don't actually want to care. What they want to do is have access to all of the things they like. They want to acquire experiences. They want to acquire material possessions. And so concerts like this are the chance for them to do all of the things. They can go see a concert. They can go seem important on Instagram. Ooh, they were able to get to the concert. And then they will repeat all the slogans and they will publish the propaganda on their own as a favor to the people throwing the concert. They will do everything necessary to stick up for the political agenda professed by the Global Citizen Organization, except admit that that's what they're doing. They want to be able to get in, get their vote, make their point, get their social credit, and then be hands off because they don't want to be seen as personally responsible for supporting all of these programs that will eventually fail spectacularly and ruin people's lives. You can ask these people what they think of Joe Biden now, and they'll say, oh, well, you know, I don't support Joe Biden. I don't like Joe Biden either. I know Joe Biden's not very good. I know Joe Biden's falling apart. I know Joe Biden's a little corrupt, but do you know what we were up against? Anything is better than more Trump. And that is their whole argument for why they voted for Joe Biden. They don't want to attach themselves to Joe Biden, even though they voted for him. 
even though they supported him, even though they ignored all arguments from the other side. And in fact, painted the other side as unpatriotic, as domestic terrorists, as stupid, as racist, as misogynistic. In fact, all of us, we're fascists. All they did was vote. Now their hands are clean. They voted the way they needed to vote to eliminate the threat of Donald Trump. And now their job is done. They don't want to be associated with any more of this stuff. They don't want it thrown in their faces that, yes, this is actually what you are supporting. They see Nancy Pelosi as this ultimate buzzkill. They don't want to be associated with Nancy Pelosi. They want to be associated with good moral action. All that good moral action that they were expressing in their support of Joe Biden, in their resistance of Donald Trump. That's how they want it framed. They don't want to be out there having to support Nancy Pelosi. That's upsetting. And this is the current state of young, hip, elitist communism in America. They'll support it. They'll go along with it as long as they keep reaping the rewards, wealth, power, status, access, opportunities, entertainment, material reward. But you can't attach any of that to the people they're actually supporting and the agenda they're actually supporting. Because that makes all of it too real. And they're just not all that into politics. They don't want it like dominating their lives. And that's why you can't call them communists. They're not communists. All they did was vote. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!